Welcome to the realm of magic and mystery, classic horror and sci-fi. You are now entering the House of the Unusual podcast with your hosts, Eddie and Joe. Welcome everyone, I am your host, Joe Pavlansky, pop culture historian, writer for Scary Monsters Magazine and curator of the Crypt of Classics. Co-hosting as always is the maestro of mail-order mysteries and owner of houseoftheunusual.com, the one, the only, the intrepid, Eddie Guevara. Eddie, my man, how's it going? How was your Halloween? I am doing super great, Joe. It was uh, really pretty good, Joe. It was pretty good. The only thing I missed is in um, my place of work, sometimes I would give candy, and I would have the candy there to give to the kids, but not having any this year, uh, they didn't want because, of course, because of the COVID thing, um, apparently, you know, my candy was not there. And I was kind of upset because I was looking forward for eating at least 20, 25 <laughs> Snickers bar, you know, honestly. That's kind of a bummer. <laughs> I, I was kind of bummed this year. I, I didn't have too many kids. Usually I get, you know, about 50 or so. And I think maybe I had about 20, 25 this year. And I had I had all the the candy I had, you know, every year I do uh, some comic books as well. Usually I'll give the kids a um a choice between comics and and candy and you know most of the more times than not they they like to choose the comic books and this year I was I was giving out both because I I, I didn't expect a lot of kids and you know I, I was kind of right I, I I ended up with a lot of candy and a, a few comic books left over so hopefully next year you know everything will be cleared up and you know the kids could get back to normal get their their spooky costumes on and, and head out in search of of the goods. So, um, you know, with that behind us now, I wanted to talk about, because it's always this time of year for some reason, I, I really start, I don't know if it's just because in, I'm inside and the, the weather's changing and things are, you know, getting a little bit more spookier, you know, during and after Halloween. But I want to talk a little bit about, remember the old magic kits that, uh, used to sell in comic books and or you could get a, as a kid they'd come with a lot of cheap little little items to to play with of course how can i forget those i i know those those were awesome i used to have one as a kid i was never really uh that good with it but for those who who never really seen one or don't know where they're talking about i i found a um i i got it here from a comic book it looks like i think it was from an avengers comic i believe in the 60s or 70s i don't have a, a i don't see a date on it but there's a a huge ad for it for a uh, a bag of magic and you know of course this is all the everything's illustrated you know then and it has a uh, a picture of some of the magic tricks well that were drawn on there and then a you know a face up in the corner kind of looks like rasputin i don't know why they would put that as like a magician or something maybe to be mysterious but uh this was put out by uh, fun factory and it was only two dollars and in it you get a um, bunch of magic tricks i'll go over those what came in it and you get a free 201 magic tricks handbook with every order you know for only two bucks and this came out of uh palisades park new jersey is that anywhere near you well first of all if you remember that was my company of course that's the one I took over the Fun Factory Fun Factory well there we go of course yeah, that, that's of course. the original the one I think if, if I'm correct it's 117 the the address on that is 117 Union Street Yep that's it Yeah in Palisades Park and the reason it was kind of ironic is when I started with Lou Weiss in 19 
89 or 88 when we started the fun factory again um this the address he had was also 117 i think the address we had was 117 um fort lee road oh really yeah it was kind of funny because it had the same exact address and lou brought that up to my attention and and that was interesting you know but here's the let me give you a little a little history on those sets and, and how it works the original company that actually started selling, not original, I mean, of course, in the 1950s and 60s and 70s, you know, there was a variety of uh, mail order companies, especially in comic books that always ran those things. I think one of the leading ones was the House of a Thousand Mysteries. Um, um, the, the company was located in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And right now, it, it's kind of interesting because I have a, a mental block on the uh, name of the owner. But the House of a Thousand Mysteries was probably one of the most of the of um, I'm thinking Flasso Hornman. Flasso Hornman, Flasso Horn, Hornman Magic Shop was one of the original magic shops that if you remember what David was talking about one time, he mentioned that it was owned by Houdini. And they were out of New York City. But the son, Flasso, Jackie Hornman, was uh, a very, very famous uh, son of uh, what they called the original. His father used to be called the Long Island, the Long Island magician, the Coney Island magician. I, I can't I don't remember the name because I'm just saying on top of my head right now. And his son, Jackie, was very popular in comic books. He ran ads constantly uh, telling you, you know, a free magic trick or whatever if you ordered the catalog. But the House of a Thousand Mysteries, which um, it's um, it's very interesting. I'm trying to remember this name, and, and, and I, I'm going to have to actually look it up and, and just find out because it, it really throws me off that I can't remember his name, you know. Um, let me see. Uh, Joe. Yeah. It, it, just give me one second. I'm trying to look it up right now as I speak to you. Um, Okay, well, you look, while you look that up, I'm going to let everyone know what came in, what you actually got in this this bag of magic that was uh, for two bucks. Like I said, you also get 201 magic tricks. But um, the little little placard on here says you get a mysterious ball and vase, an all-time favorite, uh, a baffling paddle, a surprise ending they'll never figure out, magic flying disc, Put it down, it amazingly takes off. Two-card Monte, one card seems to disappear. An imp bottle, only you can command the mysterious bottle. And a surprise mystery trick, one of the best ever. So along with that, you get the handbook. It says, the secrets to over 200 magic tricks and illusions explained. And many illustrations to go along with it. Tricks that anyone can do. So it was a lot of, uh, well, it seems like simple tricks that you could get to, to get, you know, if you're a young, young kid to, to maybe, you know, get you started and kind of learn, you know, how, how the magic tricks are performed. I mean, you always have to, you know, anything you do, you always have to have a, a good foundation and a good base to, to build upon. So well, I think a lot of these did that for, for kids. Well, it did. Uh, actually, it was kind of funny, though, because I guess because of all this election stuff going this week, uh, my brain is a little fried from watching the television. But here is basically Vic Lawson, which I can't believe I, I actually forgot his name for a second. Uh, Vic Lawson was very popular. He, started like, he originally started like in Monroe, Connecticut, 
and in the like late 60s. And, you know, his company, his catalogs were all like hand drawn by him. I mean, this guy was fascinating. He did probably, I think, in fact, half, and I've said this before, the Fun Factory, which was my company, and um, American Circle Corp. Uh, I would even say Johnson Smith took a lot of the caricatures, the, um, can't even pronounce the word now right now, the, car- the caricatures. Caricatures, the car- yeah. The caricatures. Anybody out there in podcast land could pronounce it. Just say it along it's, with Right, them. exactly. <laughs> they, they'll, they'll know, they'll know. But the, the different things out there and, you know, all the photos and a lot of the images you will find being duplicated by Abracadabra Magic Shop, You'll be, you know, American Circle Corp, Fun Factory, and including myself, because obviously I took some of the images too. But anyway, Vic Lawson was fascinating in what he did with magic tricks, especially over there. So most of this company from Flauso Hornman and all that, they would just take those images and you would constantly see the same images over and over. And in this one with the Fun Factory, I believe that the kid that Lou used to sell at the time or Lou Weiss, you know, who was the owner at the time, was one made by um, S.S. Adams, which Dave Harvestad later became part owner. The The original ads uh, for like 101 Magic Tricks and all that stuff, all those books are S.S. Adams books, and they were basically sold across the board. Almost every magic company and novelty company sold the same exact item. Now, as Magic became very popular, uh, they, it kind of unified itself with the novelty joke and magic industry. So even though, like Dave said in, in one of the last show, um, podcasts we had with him when he was talking about Houdini and stuff, and he mentioned how he remembers those magic catalogs being infl- you know, inflated like the comic book ads where when you thought you'd get a trick, you really didn't get the trick you got. It would make, obviously, would they would inflate the ads so that when you thought you were going to get this thing that floats in air, you were going to cut a woman in half. Uh, whatever it was, but when you actually got the item, you're like, oh my gosh. But at, what happened is that um, I know Dave mentioned that there was really, but yes, yes, there was in most magic catalogs, they would put in a couple of the magic and, you know, novelties, like the joke novelties. Uh, Flasso right. Hornman, you know, was one of those that sold both jokes and books and most stuff magic. And one of the biggest, uh, I think, sold plans on how to build props and illusions came from a guy named UF Grant. Uh, UF Grant, back in the day, he made a bunch of plans. And what a lot of these companies did is they copied them, photocopied them, stapled them on papers and sold them individually, like for 50 cents, a dollar. Um, One of them is actually going to be in our first newsletter, which is walking through a solid steel wall. It was a phenomenal trick as a kid. I always wanted it actually did not order it then when i wanted it later on in life i went through ebay man and the only way i was able to obtain it which was ironic was i was able to buy one book on magic cost me like 79 dollars that had the trick and how to do it because man you could not find one book on this trick this trick was like how come they don't have it it was such a popular item that you always saw um uh what do you call this an abracadabra magic shop sell it so apparently I was able to get one of the original copies. So obviously I'm, I'm going to offer it with you, Joe, in the back of the Ghost Ship Times mini, mini magazine we're putting out soon. So people will be able to get a copy of this 
phenomenal trick. Now, magic in my life started originally by watching television back in the 1970s. I, you know, early 70s, the most legendary magic um, thing on television was TV magic. Now, the magician that made this whole thing famous and later became super rich on it was Marshall Brody. Now, Marshall Brody, when he used to have those commercials for the TV magic set, you had the TV magic cards, the TV mystery cards, and this, especially around the Christmas season, they would go all over. You have them like in almost every commercial, every time. So I fell in love with that. But, you know, the average magic set would cost between four ninety five to six ninety nine, or maybe $10, $10. And the deluxe was $20, which I had an unboxing of one. Uh, not too long ago that I was not too happy to find out it wasn't complete. But I mean, <laughs> bro, in 1970, $4.95 was kind of like, I would say, equivalent to $30, $40 today. It was a lot of money, you know? And what Absolutely. kid had it? So, I, I mean, I would salivate every time I saw them on TV. I wanted the kids, but, you know, mom wouldn't get it for me. She, she finally started getting to me like on Christmas or so I did get quite a few of those magic kits. And my favorite was the TV mystery cards. Now, the, the difference between the TV magic cards and the TV mystery cards is that in the beginning, when they started first giving those, um, they, was, they were selling them, the TV magic cards usually would have what you have an A, A or space, whatever. And then all the cards will turn into an A, you know, like the A cards. And then, um, right. or oh, the A's. And, and then what they would do is, the TV mystery card, you know, you had a regular deck of cards and all the cards were there. And then you took out the back one and it was blank. And then both the front and back of it would be blank. And, and that was how, how the TV mystery card started. Uh, my favorite, because I guess the name mystery was the TV mystery cards. And I probably had a few, a few sets of them. Now, one Christmas, I think it was 1976, in Woolworth. Now, Woolworth, I'm sure you remember the old Woolworth. I mean, who, 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 who doesn't oh, remember Woolworth? In, my, in New York City, where I grew up in uh, Washington Heights, there was this Woolworth that had two stories, okay? When you went up to the second story, it was all toys. Along the aisle, the one year that I'll never forget, they were selling the Haunted Mansion board game uh, by, I think it's, if I can remember, Lakeside made it. They were selling what they called the ghost gun, which was this, it looked like a machine gun and it would project with a light, this images of ghosts on the wall. Now the, it was made by Hasbro. The ghost gun itself was kind of funny though, because they would have the slides of ghosts that you would put in through the gun. So when you shot it, what it actually did, it had like a paper puncher and you would see the image of the ghost through the light, which you're actually like projecting the light into the wall and when you pulled the trigger, you actually made a hole on the actual cellophane where the ghost was printed on. So it's not like you could keep using it forever and ever. You know, once you shot it, right. it had a short lifespan. You know, I think it had, if I remember, I don't know, like 10, 20 strips of different ghosts that you would put through. And, and you know, you look up in the wall and you shoot it. Now, do they sell any any um, any packs that you could buy yes, extra? Instructions, yeah, of course, with the instructions, like for two or three dollars, you can order another set of those slides. Um, I still have my original ghost gun uh, in the in the original box. To be honest with you, though, it's kind of a turnoff when you see 
the way it works because you would figure why would they do but i mean we're talking 1970s technology there's no video games yet atari's not even in has not even come out with the original master system they called um in fact you had very early versions of those games that had the little beep beep you know like the tennis games uh it, it, yeah. i think it i yeah, yeah i think at that, that time if i'm correct they, they weren't even out yet you know uh they came out more like i think 77 78 but anyway they had the that so in this this one year it was the lakeside haunted mansion it was the ghost gun and it was the tv magic deluxe the master magic set they called it and i requested all those for christmas Man, to this very day, it was probably the best Christmas I ever had because I was able to get almost all the toys I wanted. Now, one of those toys that I also got that year were what they called the Knuckle Busters. They looked like the Rock'em Sock'em Robots, but they were two powerful-looking guys. And when you squeeze a bulb, the hand would pop out and punch the other one in the nose, and it would fall backwards. But the thing was, when you looked at the commercial on the TV... They were playing a record in the background where you're hearing like, poof, 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 and they're doing it really quick. And when you see it in the commercial, it looks like the hands of the, of the little guy, of the guys are punching the other guy. The way it really worked is, which was such a disappointing disappointment, was that when you squeeze the bulb, okay, the hand would come out like with air and it would go, I mean, really cheesy product. It was well made, <laughs> but it was a cheesy product that I honestly got to tell you, didn't play a lot with them, but I kept them and I lost them actually in the fire, but they were like in mint condition. So so nothing nothing like no, the no, advertisement. The, if In fact, if you look up on YouTube for the original Knuckle Busters and you'll see, you'll see what I'm talking about. The way they, they went through that commercial was like, wow, man, I got to get this fighting guys. They're awesome, right? Now. The old-time favorite game I had as a kid that also I got that year, like my mom must have spent $200 in, in toys for me that year, was the famous Gunfight at OK Corral. Now, the way the Gunfight at OK Corral game was, it was a long rectangular game. I would say about I maybe mean, three feet long by 20 inches wide, and it would have on each side a cactus and a rock. You stuck it onto the board game, and it had a, a gun. So you had a handgun in both sides that would slide and you put a character on top of each of the guns and you would shoot at each other and you would use the the rock or the cactus to not get shot at. You can hide behind it and you would go for You know, you kept shooting at each other. The only problem with that game was that after you used it for a while, since it was not a really super hard plastic, but the BBs that they used in it were steel, like heavy steel balls that eventually the gun inside the trigger mechanism would crack and it wouldn't work after say you used it 30 or 40 times it devastated me because it was my favorite game you know i played it constantly there was another game similar to that one called tank command and you had 10 tanks and, and you know the tanks would move forward the same thing a rectangular game uh, you had about 10 tanks on each side and you moved them like one step at a time and then you pulled the cord. Each side had a cord, and there were supposed to be mines underneath the tank. And if one of them landed over the mine, when you pulled it, the tank would fall off the... Another fantastic game. If you want to see what it looks like, I would suggest to anybody to go on YouTube and look up Tank Command. 
from the 1970s. I forgot who made it, but you know, it was there. Now I didn't get down on that Christmas. I probably got it the following Christmas. But the point is that that's when I started with magic, getting back to the original uh, conversation here with the magic sets. And I took that home and that magic set, I really put it to use. I started practicing and before you knew it, I was able to perform all the tricks in the set. And I told the story a while back that one day my brother, uh, I, you know, he was a little guy around four or five. I don't know what it is. He, he went under my bed, pulled out the set and freaking demolished it, man. <laughs> and I, oh. I just got so mad and I threw it out. So then I thought I had rebought the set. And, you know, here's the problem. Here's basically one of the problems about buying a set in good condition. Just like the the Lakeside Haunted Mansion. Anytime you see on eBay the Lakeside Haunted Mansion, which I lost in the fire, by the way. I don't have mine anymore. Uh, I've tried to get a, rep- a copy, not a copy, but get an original one. And it always sells for like three, four hundred dollars. And what really gets me with it, though, is that the box that the way they made the boxes, just like the TV magic set is. They made the boxes so thin. It, it's think of it like this. You know, those gift boxes you buy in Christmas, they give you in the stores where you put sweaters in and you give them to your friends. The boxes were made yeah. like that cheap. So anytime you see a lakeside, pro, you know, haunted mansion board game, the box is in horrible condition. And it's because it's so flimsy. The artwork was phenomenal, but the boxes were really, really bad. So the haunted, I mean, not the haunted, the TV master magic set, when I did get it, uh, I paid like a hundred and I think it was $130, between $120, $130 for it. And I kept it in its original sealed plastic black bag that the guy wrapped it in. When I did the unboxing on my YouTube channel, I was shocked to find out that it was all over the place in pretty bad condition, to be honest with you. Um, I'm not proud of the set anymore. In fact, if I might even consider selling it like it is because I would la- love to have one day one in mint condition, but I don't know if that's even possible due to the fact of how flimsy the box was that people, if they did have one in mint condition, the box would probably be all warped and, you know. So anyway, that's what got me into the magic. But I think what really pushed magic in the 1970s was all those kits that Marshall Brody bought, I mean, had on television, and he became pretty popular and famous with it. Um, then I I don't remember exactly the year, but like in the early 80s, there were some other companies that were selling magic sets on television late at night. I remember I seen, I was already married at the time, so I would say probably late 80s. I saw one that they would give you free a magic folding dollar. I was so fascinated with the self-folding dollar <laughs> that I sent away for it. I got it and stuff. But you, but you know what, though? Getting back, it was fun to get magic in mail order and order things from Johnson Smith, Honor House, because all of them sold magic, magic stuff. The famous ones that you always saw were the Smoke from Fingertips, which S.S. Adams to this day, I think that's one of their best all-time selling. Oh, I, I, I've always wanted one of those just to to see how that how they would work. That's such it, a, a cool trick. It's really think about it like this, so you get an idea of the way it works. The product itself is a gel, okay, a gel that it's kind of like Vaseline. When you put this little bit of, 
I mean, a drop of gel between your fingers, it's really sticky, sticky. So think of Vaseline, but like glue in it or something. So when you start really quickly going back and forth with your fingers, like, you know, your thumb and your, your index finger, you start going down, you know, opening and closing really fast on that gel, it creates what looks like smoke, but in reality are like really invisible strands of hair. <laughs> yeah, that's oh, right. what the smoke is. But here's the funny thing about this product. And Dave has said that it's probably the best selling product they ever had. They were you, I think they sold it to a company that could make about $200,000 a year with just that product alone. Um, if you ever, now I could tell you this because growing up in Cuba, when I was very small in a farm, there was an old wife's tale that if it was thundering uh, and you burnt the bull of a horn, um, of a, the horn of a cow or something, I mean, of a, of a bull, the thunder would go away, you know? So my mom sometimes would take bull horns, you know, <laughs> were laying around and she put like a match to it to see if the thunder goes away. Well, the smell is horrendous, man. It's kind of like when you ever burn your oh, hair, the smell you get from burnt hair. Well, yeah, oh yeah. That's the story of that famous smoke from fingertips. It stinks. In fact, when I was back in the 80s, when I opened up my magic shop and I went to meet up with the SS Adams company way, way before uh, David ever was part of it, the grandson and the father actually was there too, the the son of uh, of the guy who owned the SS Adams and the grandson, Chris, were there. And they gave me and my store partner, because I had a partner in the magic shop I had. And they gave us a tour of the entire SS Adams company. And we went, we were, they were doing that. Man, the smell was, oh, it was not fun. I, I actually didn't want to take finish the tour. I'm like, oh, I'm good. I'll go to another floor, you know. You know, one of my, what I used to love getting when I was was young, Probably back in in the eighties, they used to sell them a lot at our um our little uh, family owned drugstore. Was the disappearing ink, and I remember the first time I got some of that. I I it came in a little it came in a little tube that you could squirt out. I, I think it was a little tube or maybe a little pen with that you could squirt it. I I really can't remember, versions. but I remember you had, both. you had the tube, not the tube. You had a bottle, okay. and you had a pen. You know what? I think it was the bottle. So I remember putting it on um, my carpet. We had a, a light carpet in the living room, and I remember putting it on there and pretending like my pen exploded or something and yelling for my mom. And I remember her coming in and just the look on her face. She's like, "Oh my god, what it what what the heck happened?" And I, you know, I had to convince her that it was disappearing ink and had to show the bottle. <laughs> but I, I always loved that that little magic kind of you know prankster novelty trick that was one of my my favorites and i used to use it you know with friends you know squirt it on their shirt and you know they would think their shirt was ruined or something and then it would it's definitely a good trick the only thing with it it was kind of funny that you mentioned that because like i said the the popular items that were sold were flowers from fingertips smoke from fingertips uh the floating um zombie ball sometimes they would should you know would be popular and the other one that was really popular was the um, from Loftus Magic, the haunted handkerchief. Uh, that was, you know, always you could always see that one in or the dancing silk or dancing handkerchief. You would always see those in the Johnson Smith catalog. Uh, that disappearing ink. The the story I wanted to tell you about that that you brought it up is that 
I bought, I don't know, about 144 pieces when I had my magic shop. And I had left or have left about, I don't know, 36, 40 pieces of it. As time goes by, it disappears from the tube as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? So basically what happens is, is that if you take a tube that's 10, 20 years old, it's just clear liquid inside. The water doesn't disappear. The, the ink does. Yeah. Oh, really? That, that's pretty great. I wonder what that was. I never, I don't think I've ever looked to see what that was actually made of that made it disappear. Um, they showed me how to make it. Uh, like I knew the thing. I'm, I'm not going to really get in details of saying that online because, you know, that's something that's one of the secrets of the trade, just like how to make uh, smoke from fingertips. You know, it's something that. You, yeah, you I'm don't, sure people right, really want to make it. Exactly. Not only that, because basically what happens with that is that if I, let's say me and you decide to sell it in the future, House of the Unusual or whatever, we could probably, you know, have our own supplies made. But the 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 product itself were fascinating. The other one with the super that's caught a lot of people off or they always sold you magic plants. One of those were the sparkling eyes. It told you that you would have this and your eyes would spark and, you know, the more your eyes would flash with lights and when you sent away for that, I think it was like 25 or 50 cents. What you got was a piece of paper with instructions on telling you to take two pieces of aluminum foil to cut them down to less than a quarter inch, close your eyelid, and take those aluminum foil or paste them with whatever onto your eyelids. And then when what you do is you stand in front of a very bright light pointing to your face, and then you blink and, and you know, you blink really quick. So that's how the flashing eyes work. Uh, be, be honest with you, it was the worst thing ever. <laughs> yeah, that's not. I would be afraid to cut my eye. Yeah, or, I know. I, you know, I didn't really think of that as a kid, but I, you know, I, I just said when I got the instructions for that, I'm like, what? And that was sold by uh, the Abracadabra Magic Shop, but they used to run full page ads all over. So you know, people fell sucker for that. Now the other one also was this this one item that I had one, and and gosh, man, I don't know if I lost it in my fire or what, but I. I wish I could find it again, but it was called the Spook House. It showed a little ghost inside like a yellow house or white house. And it says, you can't see him. I mean, I'm sorry, only you can see him, but nobody else can. So it's like a little card. The way that worked was you had a card, I don't know, about the size, a little bit bigger than a deck of cards. I mean, the the item itself was bigger, not than a deck, but one of, let's say, a regular playing card. It was a little bigger. And what you would do is you fold it and it had an A and B section. So when you added the two corners together, you could see a ghost. You know, it was kind of like if you look at early issues of Mad Magazine, the back cover always had one of those things that it would say to you, put A to B and then you would fold the page and, and, you, and it would create a whole different image in a hidden picture. And that's what that was. Now, it was a great item because the the ad for it, just like, again, the seven foot monster ghost. The way it's written, it's perfect. It's going to make a person want to have the product. But in reality, what you actually get, it's kind of disappointing, you know? Uh, (laughs) We're talking about the regular life of mail order back from the 70s, you know? You always got, or you got less than what you anticipated for, you know? Oh, yeah. You know, and I I recall those, you know, seeing the the magic. Now, I guess this was probably around 88. 89 or something when I had my first magic uh, kit and I remember seeing it in, in the catalogs and, and it, I'm like, Oh man, I could become a magician and I'll get to do all these cool tricks. And I remember getting 
the I think we went to Hills Department Store when when Hills was still around. For anyone that remembers Hills, in um, picking up the magic kit and just being so disappointed on how kind of cheap everything was and how you know I thought I was going to be doing these cool magic tricks that you know like I seen you know, magicians on TV, you know, do at the time, which real big was David Copperfield. And I said, man, I, I'll be the next David Copperfield and I could do all this stuff. And then, you know, I got this cheap plastic stuff or, you know, some ropes some plastic rings. And I was like, what the heck is this stuff, man? And, you know, I, I, I remember, I, I kind of remember trying to do some of the tricks, but some of them I just, I didn't have at the time, didn't have the patience to, to learn and, and to practice, but, yeah, I do remember being kind of disappointed at the uh, the magic kit that I got. Now I'm, you know, now you know, looking back at some of these older magic kits, there were some that are that were really nice. And if anybody out there, you know, go to houseofunusual.com on the forum site, I have a post that's called Magic Yesterday and Today, and on there I have some photos of vintage magic kits and. You know, some of them you could tell are very, you know, cheap, just a lot of kind of paper products. You know, you get some, you know, metal rings maybe or, you know, some stuff with string, you know, some cards, other plastic stuff. But you could you could really tell how the quality when these kits first came out, there was some type of quality there and there was a little bit of, you know, know how they, they gave you the books on how to do it. And then you could see kind of in the you know, started in the 80s and 90s, how the kits kind of shifted to more just like plastic. Yeah, very you know, cheaply done. Cheap very stuff. cheaply done. Yeah, but but I mean, some of those older kits, and I, I know back in like the the teens and the 20s and 30s going back then, you know, some of them came in wooden boxes and then, you know, they tran- transferred into, um, you know, cardboard boxes, you know, nice thick ones, and then eventually thinner cardboard that, you know, kind of broke away and didn't, last you know throughout the years but if you could get your hands on you know some of those you know vintage ones man they're they're very cool i mean and the artwork on the outside of them is is, you know very nice too you know to even just to to collect to have up on your your shelf and everything but you know as they you know when fisher price started putting theirs out and all that in the 80s and 90s they got you know very cheap and you know, to me, just didn't seem worth it. But, you know, you got to wonder how many of these kits, you know, actually, like I said, you know, gave a base foundation for some of these more famous magicians, well, you know, today that actually started off with these cheap little kits. And now they're making millions with these, you know, very elaborate illusions. You know, I got to be honest with you, Joe, when you said that, I think some of the best packaged and best made kits were the TV magic sets. And I'll tell you why. The material in them, even the plastic, were kind of heavy duty. They were not cheap. Um, right after the dawn or the age of the TV magic sets, the, the sets that were out there, and I'll tell you for a good example, I had, or and I still have an original FAO Schwartz magic set, the disguise set, and I also have the uh, magic trick set. Here's the killer on this. The box for being FAO shorts, which would be, I mean, this kid went for like 50, 100. I don't know how much it went for. It's a cheap box, man. It's a solid color. It's really not something you like, oh, I got to get this. Uh, yeah. Really? It, 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 usually FAO shorts has some, you know, real thick boxes no, no, and usually well packaged. In fact, I'm going to send you. 
wow. photos of mine. It's very disappointing. And I have one of the originals from the 60s. Um, the kits that I think had the best artwork and were most desirable are the TV magic sets because they really look cool. I mean, I do own today about, I don't know, seven or eight of them. And they're really nice. And if you look at my unboxing, you'll see like the one called the master, not the master, the big, huge one. But I show a smaller version, which is really cool. It came for like 10 tricks. I think it was $10, $9.99. But the artwork on it was phenomenal. Now, one of the best kits, and, you know, I wish Dave was on tonight, um, that he would be able to elaborate a lot more on this magic stuff. Because I can only elaborate on the, the ones I remember and the ones I, I was part of, the ones I bought. But, you know, there were some that I never even saw as a kid that had this gorgeous, phenomenal artwork. One of those, I actually saw it in uh, American Pickers. They purchased one, and it was by a famous magician called John Calvert. Now, John Calvert, the, the thing about this is I believe he he lived not too far from David. David knew him very well. And uh, this guy was, you know, a magician, whatever. He passed away recently, but... I was when I saw the magic set, it really drew my attention. It's like a red box. It has his image on it and it was signed by him. And they were asking, I don't know, like two hundred dollars. I think I, I did a best offer like a hundred and twenty and he took it and I purchased the set signed by him. Um, not him, but whoever was selling the set. But I did it because I saw it in American Pickers and I knew that hey, I really like that set. But I gotta tell you something though. With all the magic sets that I have reviewed and I own, because I own quite a few of them. I wouldn't be surprised I own over 30 or 40 of them, um, including those early magic sets that you have in, in, in the website that you put up. I think I yeah. have almost all of them except for maybe one that you showed there. I was thinking where I had them, you know, where because, I mean, the artwork is really cool and stuff, but the the John... The John Cal, um, hold on, a second. I'm, I'm just actually looking at the uh, trying to see if I have a photo here of what's it. Well, I, I tell you what's what, what's one that I would really like that I, I, I keep eyeballing a lot and looking for a decent price one. And but it's from I, I believe the 20s and it's a, a Gilbert Misto magic and it comes in a red wooden yeah, box. Yeah, I, I got that for $79. I don't know. Well, that's not a bad price. I, cause I've seen some of them going upwards as much as $300. Of course. But I got I got mine a long time ago, though. They, you know, we're talking, Joe, I got mine probably, I don't know, 2003. To, I mean, it was the early days of eBay and people yeah. were just selling it. And I got it for like 79 I thought I was saying to myself, man, that's a lot. There was also another wooden magic set that I bought that um, I, don't, I forgot what company made it. But you know what? Like I said, the the best artwork, yes, Gilbert magic set was really nice. They do have nice. But in, in um, the John Cal- Calvert, uh, he uh, he doesn't have much inside. I think he has, let me see, like four or five, six tricks inside the magic set. But you know what? It gives it a professional look. And I believe David told me that this magic sets were given by him uh, for people that attended his show, like the people that pay for the tickets and stuff at the door. They yeah. uh, they were given like the first 100 attendants or something like that were given this magic set. Um, I bought it because, and the reason I bought it is because I was talking to David that I said, Dave, you know, there's never been a professional magic set. And when I'm saying professional, I'm talking about doing a magic set for professional, you know, starting magicians or professional magicians 
that have tricks unlike anything that's ever been done, unique to only that set. But to offer stuff in there made of steel, made of, you know, wood, like professional equipment. And put it into a, you know, like a, a good attache case, you know, like a, one of those James Bond looking cases. Uh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Um, Phantasma Magic, which is found in New York City, not too far uh, from 34th Street. Uh, you get a lot of Phantasma Magic and well, not Toys R Us here, because now Toys R Us, which is ironic, I couldn't believe Toys R Us still exists up in Canada. But you see them in Target and, and stuff like that and Walmart. Phantasma Magic, uh, a couple of years ago, I went to New York and I, I visited their magic shop. And when I went into their magic shop on the second floor, they had like a little magic show, which I was really fascinated by. Like the guy had a, a good setup there and he had a steel uh, briefcase and the steel briefcase had the magic set inside. I think it was $140 or something like that for it. To be honest with you, I kind of regret I didn't buy it. it. It had like about, I don't know, 150 tricks in it that you could do whatever. But the, the briefcase itself was part of the magic set where you can use it to perform magic with it. Um, I, I think that was a phenomenal idea. I, I really think that Phantasmic Magic hit it good in doing their magic sets. Where I think they kind of fail or, or fall short in when you buy the ones in Target and stuff is that most of their stuff is made of cardboard. So when you have, let's say, your arm goes through, like cut your arm in half or whatever it is, the 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 thing you put, the apparatus you put around your arm is made of cardboard, you know? And it's cheap. It's a little cheesy, you know? It's not as, as professional as it could be. So I think when I went there four or five years ago, he had really professional magic sets that later went to the cheap side, you know? So I had told All David right. it would be fantastic, phenomenal to do a magic set that you can charge five, six, seven hundred dollars for if it's really professional magic in it, and that's still in back of my mind. I've um, I haven't decided not to do that. And one of the people that was actually going to help me push that um, was the NBA player Mason Plumley, um, which I'm still in back of my mind going to use for that because I was going to call it Magic Masons, you know. And he was all for it. And you know, like I said, you know. One thing at a time, you know, we're, we're now starting this new podcast and stuff. I don't want to go into different avenues, but it's definitely something that it's down the pike. It's going to take place just a matter of when. Okay. Right. Um, but you know what? Again, magic and novelty tricks, magic tricks, the seven foot goal, seven foot monster. They were all in the same bag. If you like any of them, you're going to go back to the same mail order general from the time of the seventies, because there's not a novelty catalog that doesn't have magic tricks and jokes in it. And when you do have the professional magic catalogs, like from Supreme magic uh, from, you know, England, you have the different magic companies, Abbott magic shop. And, and there was, a, especially in New York city, on Times Square back at the time, they had at least three magic shops in New York City. Um, they all, you know, you know what really, mag, you know, novelties in it. Go ahead. You know what really sucks is where I'm from, Northeast Ohio, is that I don't ever remember a magic shop, seeing a magic shop or hearing about a magic shop in my area. Now, 
maybe Pittsburgh, you know, which is about 45 minutes from me or Cleveland, an hour and a half might have had some magic shops. I'm, I'm guessing they may have because they're, you know, larger cities and, and possibly Columbus. That's about, you know, three and a half hours or so. But I don't, you know, down in the Youngstown area in Northeast Ohio, I don't ever remember hearing about a magic shop, which that would have been really cool, you know, growing up to, to been able to, to go to one, but you know, that's something, you know, kind of like newer to me that I'm, you know, kind of delving into just the, you know, I, I really like seeing these old pictures of, of magic shops and how they were set up and what the insides look like. They're, they're really interesting. The best magic sets were located. I mean, best magic um, shops were located in New York city. I mean, the thing that was crazy though, back in the 1970s, say for example, I went to the, this famous magic shop that was right there on 42nd street and times square, right across the street from the building where they break that ball each year. And right. I bought a Franco American novelty. It was the manufacturer for it. Electric shocking book. Now the Johnson Smith catalog has a phenomenal ad for that book, man. When I was a kid, I really wanted it because it, it shows this guy opening it up and man, sparks are coming out of his ears. His eyes, you know. <laughs> so again, the picture tells the story, and the picture sells the item. Not what the wording says, what the picture does, right? So it sold me on the picture, and in fact, I have copies that I used to sell an early catalog for the Fun Factory, and and actually House of the Unusual as well. And it has in the front page that ad from the guy getting all this electric bolts coming out of him. Um, that book cost me at the time. It's, this is crazy, which I, I'm kind of surprised that my mom got it. Almost $22, man. And, oh, yeah. wow. And here's the problem that some of those early magic things, like the, the book itself, phenomenal. Great looking item, right? Beautiful. The case was nice. The book kind of looked, to be honest with you, like it was made out of metal. So a person looking at the book would say, what the hell is that? Because the the fake pages around there were pages drawn on cardboard. So you could tell it's kind of like a fake book. You know, you know it's not a real book, right? So they had the electric shocking lighter and the electric shocking pen. And they all went, even in the Johnson Smith catalog, went for about $15, $20 a piece. So it was forbidden for a little guy to buy it. You know what I'm saying? You just didn't have that kind of money, man. The the Polaris <laughs> nuclear submarine was six ninety nine, and who the hell can afford that? You know, so. And what year was that? The, the Polaris sub that was ever. Um, not to put you on the spot. <laughs> you s- <laughs> no, no. The yes, I I do have the original sub. In fact, I'm probably the only one that has the only one. That's Wait, what what year were those world. advertised around? The the well originally Honor House started advertising in the okay. early nineteen fifties the rocket ship okay they had a rocket ship and then in late middle sixties like sixty four sixty five they started uh, selling a tank a Sherman tank then it morphed into the Polaris nuclear sub which went from nineteen sixty six I think to about nineteen eighty five not eighty five absolutely not I would say to nineteen eighty eighty one. Uh, by '83, it was it was gone oh, from comic books. And you books. figure the you comic books, even anywhere. at that time, were anywhere from twelve to twenty-five cents. You know, and that sub was what almost seven dollars. That that's a huge amount. 
that it was it was a lot that time but the problem with the original submarine and stuff is that when you built it 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 had these rivets inside that when you put it in it's like you can't remove them if you put this thing in through the plastic then the other side has a rivet you push it in and it's kind of like the twist ties so one way thing that's it the only way and and now when you put this thing which is seven feet long and you know like two or three feet wide there's no place in your house to keep it so if you keep it in the basement it's cardboard it's going to disintegrate that's why mine's is probably the only one left in the world now Mine is from 1966, um, which it, it's ironic that no one ever built it. You know what I'm saying? They must have just had it disappear. But, but here's the whole thing, though. The items of that time that just didn't last from the submarine to the seven foot ghost are they were all items that were not only seen in every comic book not every comic book, but I would say 60% of the comic books and kids would just salivate looking at those ads, wanting them. And I think the best movie out there that they made that kind of brings people back to that era is Creepshow. When Billy gets his comic book and he wants to order the Venus flytrap. And and the funny thing about the Venus flytrap is they call it man-eating plant or flesh-eating plant. Which, which is, it doesn't do at all. <laughs> and I found that funny because you always thought you can feed it meat and you're not supposed to feed the dog. They, they tell you to feed hamburgers to it, but in reality, it's supposed to be well, on that's the, the um, not The ad that I was talking about earlier in the, the uh, podcast here about the bag of magic, on the bottom, there's a small Venus flytrap and it's labeled as flesh Flesh-eating plants, the most unusual plant in the world, eats flies, bugs, insects, even meat. Instructions and special uh, soil included. And it shows a picture, you know, an illustration, drawn an illustration of the plant with, you know, somebody putting their finger in it and the plant snapping at the finger. So I thought that was pretty, I thought that was pretty funny because if anyone's ever well, seen a, a Venus flytrap or had, you know, a real one, that's, you know, it's nowhere near that. <laughs> Well, I thought, this is a funny thing that you said that. I thought when I first sent away for it, I thought that when it came, it would snap on your fingers. In fact, I was a little afraid of it because I thought it was like alive and stuff. I didn't realize, wait a minute, it doesn't work quite that way. But you know something, though? When I had the, when I took over the Fun Factory with Lou, I was able to get, there was a nursery that sold, like one of those plant nurseries. And I found a Venus flytrap there and I bought it. It was like three, four inches Beautiful plant, right? And I was able to call the company that made it that was located, I think, in Massachusetts. I forget the name exactly, but it's one of those nurseries that would sue to, you know, to the different um, companies. And I remember the minimum order was 48 pieces. So I would have to put, run, when I ran the ad in comic book with Lou, I waited till I got 48 orders. And then I ordered the 48 pieces, got them within seven days. And I ship them out to the people. But what I did is I used those eight-inch square mm-hmm. boxes from the USPS that are, you know, priority mail. And I would put the plant in there. And since the plant had, it, it was like two cups, like, you know, two drinking cups. And it had one on top, like a green, acting as a greenhouse over the plant. And it was well sealed. Okay. So I would send it. And believe it or not, <laughs> I never had a problem with at least two, three hundred plants I sold out, sent away in the mail. 
everybody was happy with it. They got a, instead because back in the seventies they would send you a seed, and when you planted it, it never ever worked. It was like a piece of junk. So the original mail order ads for that, when they send you the root that you're supposed to plant and stuff, no matter what, it just does <laughs> not work. Um, and but that's part of the the time, you know, the time they they would allow you, and, and there was no feedback. Yeah, really. The company, so you you kind of kept screwing the same kits over and over and over, and there was no way of, of policing who was. You see, I'll, what, I'll just move know? on to something else. It'll be better, and then you get that be disappointed and say, "I'm going to move on to something else," and you know, just the vicious cycle, you know, keeps going and going. <laughs> It's it, you know what it's kind of like when we were talking about the magic sets that you said to some of the early magic sets, you know if you go to the seventies the magic sets had really cool artwork, but when you start going into the forties and thirties, their artwork was kind of like those old magician posters which look like the posters you get in the yeah, oh, yeah. shows, and you know it kind of is for me it doesn't really do a lot because they. I like the magician where you got the guy with the eyes looking through the box and then the mystery See, behind I, it. I like that monster cover. I don't like that old fashioned, whatever doll like paper doll cover. See, I'm like, I'm you know the I mean? I'm the opposite. I I like the the old ones and especially the um like I was saying that uh that Misto magic where they it's you know they got pictures of you know, de- little demons and devils on it. Like this magic is like some otherworldly, you know, power. I, I like seeing that. I, I, I don't know. It just adds kind of like some, some mystery to it rather than seeing just a, you know, magician, you know, doing some tricks. I've always enjoyed, you know, those old posters of, you know, magicians where, you know, they would have like these demons or devils or these. They always did that. Yeah, they always did that. Clouds That's of right. smoke and it, it just, it made you think was, you know, of course we know better now, but at the time I could just put myself, you know, in that time frame and say, man, was, was this some, is this some other worldly power that, that this guy has, yeah. or does he know some, you know, esoteric or occult, you know, tradition that he's, you know, showing us. I, See, I but thought those were that, cool. That's why. <laughs> yeah. But, but the, yeah, I understand what you're saying. What I was saying really quick was we only have a few seconds to go is that, Joe, the problem that that had was that it made magic, especially for normal kids that wanted a magic set. It put them in the realm of this, the you know, the unknown, the new age. Oh yeah, yeah, I could definitely devil, see that. You know, devil worship stuff. So it gave magic a bad name because, so in a sense, I understand what you're saying. You like, I do understand that, but at the same time, some of those posters because of those images. Cause people not to like magic. And oh, yeah, I, I, I can absolutely they, see that. They, they construed that it was black magic. Yeah. When in reality, so when I was growing up, I was one of those kids that my mom never wanted me to have magic sets because of images that were just, you know, a little bit too crazy. Now, what you do, so I, I kind of, I'm totally the opposite when it comes, I, I do understand what you're saying in that. I kind of strayed away from those images, especially when I do create magic sets and stuff is because of the fact that people don't want to buy it because they, they're saying that I'm selling, you know, devil worship and right. stuff. Yeah. And, you know, so I kind of stand the fact I'm a Christian too. You know, I believe in Jesus there, you know, I'm not going to go into that demon stuff, but I do understand what you're saying that that's the way they portray the images. And that's why 
there's a quick change. If you look at the history, when it was past the 40s and 50s, that changed. The whole image, then they would always have a guy, especially like an Indian-looking guy with the what they call farkers or uh, faker. I forgot the name exactly how to pronounce it. But they had like the thing over their head with the one eye. The guy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I love those. With the I monsters. love those posters. <laughs> yeah, the posters you're talking about. They have the demons, usually like Dante, the yeah, magician, yeah. and uh, those. Yeah, they had those, and they. But they'll, they'll go back late to the late. You see, you know the fact in the early 1900s there was a big spiritualist movement in this country, and worldwide, where everybody wanted to talk to the dead and stuff. So. You know what? Maybe Joe, you got to get a time machine. Go back to that era. You might be more. I'm telling you, I, I think I, I'm an old soul, and that's when I was. You know, I, I, a previous life, I, I kind of lived in in that era. But uh, well, let's, we're gonna wrap it up here real quick. And um, so you know, we're talking about magic, and I'm sure you know on a future podcast we'll we'll talk more about some magic once we get you know Dave Harvest that on, and you know maybe we'll ask him about some some of these vintage um magic. And, and everything oh, he, so i'm sure he could he will be able yeah he will be able yeah, to he, really he's the man that that will enough. that will be able to put uh-huh. more information so everyone out there listening you know don't fret we'll we'll have more on these magic kits and we'll dig you know real deep into the history and and some of the kits but in the meantime to hold you over head over to house of the unusual.com you know join our site it's free you could uh interact in the forum you know, check out the uh, the article "Magic Yesterday and Today," and if you have some of your own kits or your own memories, you know, drop a comment down there and the like. Uh, you could also find this on YouTube, House of the Unusual. Uh, there's Eddie does a ton of different videos on there, unboxing of, of some vintage uh, novelties, some some cool stuff. You'll see some magic kits on there, and then check them out on Instagram under House of the Unusual, and uh, you know just come and interact with us and, you know, meet some like-minded people and, you know, come and have a good time. So, um, you know, thanks everybody for, for stopping by Eddie. Thanks for stopping by. Um, yeah, my final words really quick. Uh, I haven't uploaded videos in the last week or two because I'm actually redoing my whole thing all over. And when I do an unboxing, I'm going to dedicate a couple of minutes into each product and tell you the history of the product. So I think when you start looking at the new videos, people will find them uh, really fascinating. Uh, I'm really working in the whole thing. So having said that, Joe, listen, have a beautiful night. All right, Eddie, thanks for for stopping by, everybody. Thanks for stopping by. Have a good night.